Sales Paradise, Episode 12. Just means that everything about what you do is focused on bringing them exceptional value. This is Sales Paradise. Now here's your host, our dad, Chandler Barron. (laughs) On today's episode, we have Bob Berg. Bob is a sought after speaker at company leadership and sales conferences, sharing the platform with everyone from today's business leaders and broadcast personalities to even a former U.S. president. Bob is the author of a number of books on sales, marketing, and influence, with total book sales of well over a million copies. His book, The Go-Giver, co-authored by John David Mann, itself has sold over 700,000 copies and has been translated into 21 languages. His and John's newest parable in the Go-Giver series is the Go-Giver Influencer. Bob is an advocate supporter and defender of the free enterprise system, believing that the amount of money one makes is directly proportional to how many people they serve. Welcome to the show, Bob. Hi, Chandler. It's great to be with you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to digging deep in to see what it really means to be a go-giver. Um, but, you know, for quite a few years, you've been a sales thought leader. Um, but how did, how did you even decide that you wanted to get into sales to begin with? Well, I sort of fell into it in a way. I was working as a, a television broadcaster. I'd started out in radio and then then TV. Uh, wasn't particularly good at the at the TV stuff, and it wasn't long before I realized that wasn't going to be my future. And uh, I began to sell just because it was the first thing I could find, which is how a lot of people get into sales. And like a lot of people who get into sales that way, I realized there was a lot more to it that met than met the eye. And I floundered for the first few months because I didn't know how to sell. And, and the training where I was first working was negligible at best. So um, so that was that was difficult. Uh, and then I, I was in a bookstore, and this is about 40 or so years ago. And I remember seeing a couple of books in there. One was by Tom Hopkins, How to Master the Art of Selling. And another one was from Zig Ziglar. And I picked up both of those books and delved into them. Because I, you know, I didn't know that there was a how-to aspect of sales. I mean, it just, it shocked me to even, you know, no one had told me that. So when I saw those two books, I mean, I had a sense of, of hopefulness right there. And uh, the two books did not disappoint me. They were amazing. And I remember studying them and uh, after work and I would highlight and underline and I'd rehearse and I'd practice. And uh, within about three weeks, my sales began to actually do very well. And, you know, so, you know, three weeks, I mean, what's the big difference between where you were three weeks earlier and where you are? Well, I had a system, I had a process. And to this day, I personally define a system as the process of predictably achieving a goal based on a logical and specific set of how to principles. In other words, the key is predictability. If it's been proven that by doing A, you'll get the desired result of B, then you know all you need to do is A and continue to do A and continue to do A and you'll get the desired result of of B. So that was a a real just uh, epiphany for me. Uh, I then at that point continued to study sales, really loved it. And I began to read all the 
personal development books that were popular at the time and still are. And I'm sure you have many of these books. You know, I was getting uh, How to Win Friends and Influence oh, yeah. People by Carnegie and Think and Grow Rich by Hill and The Magic of Thinking Big by Schwartz and As a Man Thinketh by, you know, and uh, Psycho-Cybernetics by Dr. Maxwell Maltz. And I built up a, you know, library of books. And I, I was learning that you really have to build yourself first from the inside, right? <laughs> and then success manifests on the outside. But so it was a mixture of the of the um, uh, the books that built me that way, and also the how-to books that in the, the in what I could. And back then it was not even CDs, but it was tapes, cassette tapes. And I would get the cassette tapes, and I'd listen to them in my car. Again, same thing that you and many of of your listeners. Uh, have done and, and still do. And uh, that that was really that was really it. Eventually, I, I worked my way up to sales manager of another company. And after that, started sharing with people what was working for me, which morphed into a speaking business. Well, you know, I can only imagine, too, is like you said, once you started reading those books, and then even after, you know, as short as three weeks, you, you could tell a difference. Mm-hmm. I can only imagine how that just energized you. You know, that was it did. Yeah, it was it was this amazing feeling like, wow, you know, I mean, I, you know, this works and I know now kind of how to do this. And I I know there's a lot more to learn, but wow, you know, so (laughs) absolutely. Well, you know, I like to let the audience know, too, that even after a pivotal moment like that in your career, that it's not all smooth sailing, you know, um, after that. Uh, So take us back to a point where. It was your worst sales experience, you know, even if it was before that. But the main thing is just to let the listeners know the transition is not like just point A to B. Many times there's many steps in between. Oh, well, I mean, I, I think the worst experiences I had in sales, especially in those in those early days, even after I began to understand sales and, and begin to, to sort of become proficient at it, was when I didn't realize that that sales is never about the salesperson. Okay. The said, don't get me wrong. The salesperson has to be prepared and good at what they do. And they're a very important part of the process, but the sale is good. You know, good salesmanship is never uh, about the salesperson. Uh, it's always about the other person. And so whenever I messed up, it was, it was when I was focused on myself or I was focused on my product. I was focused on what I needed as opposed to the other person. Very good point. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think selling by definition is simply discovering what the other person wants, needs, and desires and helping them to get it. You know, one of the first things I'll often say when I speak at a sales conference, and I'll I'll say it jokingly because I know everyone knows this and it's simply to make a point. And that is, I'll say, you know, nobody is going to buy from you because you have a quota to meet. They're not going to buy from you because you need the money. And they're not even going to buy from you because you're a really nice person who believes in your product or service. They're going to buy from you only because they believe they'll be better off by doing so than by not doing so. And that's the only reason why anyone should buy from any of us. And the neat thing about this is it, if you, as soon as a person understands that basic concept, the great thing about it is that you know that it's in your best interest to actually place the customer's interests even before your own. That it's all about discovering their needs, wants, and desires, making life better for them 
however you do that through your, your product or service. And so, you know, and this is why we say that money is simply an echo of value, right? It's the, it's the thunder to values lightning, which means the value that you're providing them as they understand it to be of value, because value is the relative worth or desirability of a thing, of something to the end user or beholder. You know, what is it about this thing, this product, service, concept, idea, what have you, that brings so much worth or value to someone that they will willingly exchange their money for it? Well, remember, value is always in the eyes of the beholder. It's not about what we think is of value about our product or service or what we think they should think is of value about our product or service. It's about what they feel is, what they think is. So when we do it from that point of view, now we have the opportunity to be successful because the focus is on them, not on ourselves. Yeah, that's a very difficult thing for us to get used to because that's kind of opposite of how we're brought yeah. up, you know? Um, that's how, and because normally we survive through school is thinking about ourselves. Well, it's also, it's, it's, it's contrary to human nature because human, we are self-interested creatures. I mean, that's how, you know, our ancestors, the cave person ancestors were able to survive by being self-interested, by surviving the day and by procreating and doing all those things. You must be self-interested in order to, to do that. And, and there's, it, it's not that there's any, and of course, you know, we don't have the same life and death challenges as our, our ancestors did back then, <laughs> but it's been hardwired into our DNA. We are still self-interested, but here's the thing. It's not that we should try and deny that self-interest. That would be counterproductive. It just wouldn't, wouldn't work. It's that, it's that we, we put that self-interest to the, to the, to the side. We temporarily suspend our self-interest. Uh, John David Mann, my awesome author of the the, the uh, Go-Giver series, he and I liken this to uh, the 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 movie term, the entertainment term, the willing suspension of disbelief. In other words, you go you go to see a movie, and you walk in there. Now you know it's fake what you're about to see for the next couple of hours, right? You've just paid for a ticket to go see a story on screen. Uh, the actors up there are probably the same actors you've seen playing other roles. Like, you know they're not real. Uh, if it's a James Bond movie, you know that nobody is going to crack a joke while a terrorist is holding a gun at his head. No, actually, the James Bond is real, from what I understand. <laughs> well, that, well yeah. I believe that too, but I, I try not to yeah. let other people know that I know. You know, harumph, harumph. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, the, uh, he and Batman, th those two are real, yeah. other, other than that. But, um, yeah. And so, but what we do is we suspend that, that disbelief so that we can enjoy the, the program, right? So that we can enjoy it. So we can feel what's going on. So we can, you know, and, and, and then, and then afterwards we again, go back to, to living our life. Well, it's the same in this process. Okay. You don't have to suspend your, your self interest, but understand that when you are with a prospective customer, you've got to suspend it. You've got to set, you've got to put it aside. You have got to focus absolutely intently uh, unabridgedly on them and what's going to bring value to them because that's the only reason they're going to buy from you. Oh yeah, I couldn't agree more. Well, let me shift gears just a little bit. Um, regarding uh, a sales career, I'm, I've been a big believer and advocate of everyone approaching it uh, with an entrepreneurial spirit as far as not only their sales job but their entire career. So and I know that you have uh, a quote regarding this as well about the entrepreneurial spirit. Well, let's talk about that a little bit and, and what your feelings are on that. 
Well, anyone can be an entrepreneur. They just may not be an entrepreneur in the traditional sense of the word that they own their own business. You know, that's what we think of with entrepreneur, someone who takes a risk, someone who, who again, has, has uh, put their own money into it or raised money, a combination of both. And it's, uh, you know, it, they're in their own business. They're an entrepreneur. And that's how we think about it. But even if someone is an employee within a large corporation, they still need to be entrepreneurial. Okay, they need to, instead instead of being an entrepreneur, they're an intrapreneur. They're an entrepreneur within another person's organization. Why is that so important? Well, because just like, again, no one's going to buy from you because you need the money. No one's going to hire you or keep you because you have a mortgage payment to make. They're going to have you, they're going to pay you a salary or a salary plus commission or whatever it happens to be because they believe they are receiving more in value than what they're paying. Otherwise, why would they have you on? Okay. So again, we just need to understand human nature. This is why we need to understand that when we are, when we are an entrepreneur, that we still have customers. Only our customers are our coworkers, our supervisors, maybe those we lead. Uh, if we were in a leadership position, it's ultimately the, both the employer and of course, ultimately, ultimately the end user, whether we ever deal with them, um, directly or not. So regardless of whether you own your own business or work for someone else, you're still an entrepreneur. Uh, it's just the, you know, it's just the platform that you're doing it from. Well, that's what I love the name of the book as far as, um, you know, we, we're used to the term go-getter and it just falls in line with, you know, your philosophy um, as far as the go-giver, that that's really, it's almost like if you learn to give, you're going to get in return, but that's not your main priority. It's, it's actually giving. Yeah. You know, when you can focus it really what the, what the, uh, the whole essence, the premise of the entire Go-Giver series is about is simply that shifting your focus from getting to giving. And when we say giving in this context, we simply mean constantly and consistently providing value to others. Understanding that doing that is not only a, a more pleasant way of, of conducting business, it's actually the most financially profitable way as well. Yeah, because if we're going in and giving and being a problem solver, it'll be identified uh, whether or not our product is the best solution for them. And if it is, you know, as we're moving it down the sales cycle, it's going to be something that's in the customer's best interest naturally. Well, yeah, I mean, just by the very act, by the very nature of being in sales, you're giving, you know, the old English root of the word sale uh, of the word sell, excuse me, was salan, which literally meant to give. So when you're, when you're selling, you are literally giving. Now, someone might say, well, isn't that just semantics? And I don't think it is. And, and the reason why is because let's say you have a prospective customer in front of you, uh, and you are in the selling process. Okay. You're about to, you're doing your presentation. You're about to, to sell You're you're in the selling process. What exactly then are you giving them? Well, I suggest you're giving them time, attention, counsel, education, empathy, and most of all, value. Now, when you say, well, it's, you know, it's in their best interest for you to, to, to sell your product or service. Well, yeah, I mean, otherwise you shouldn't be selling your product or service to them, but it's not a matter of, of having to push them to do it either, because there's no, there's no reason for that. There's no necessity for it. If the, the big thing is if you are doing the discovery process correctly, okay, you are determining, you're discovering 
through asking questions and listening and the understanding of their business and how you can best serve them, you're tapping into their, they will tell you their needs, their wants, their desires, how, what you do, how your product or service is going to solve their problem, make their life better or whatever it is it, it happens to be. Um, so yeah, it's not a matter of feeling, well, so do I have a right to be, you know, uh, do, well, yeah, I mean, if, if you're in a business that helps people, yes, you should be there. Uh, but it's not as though it's a battle. If it's a battle, it's being done incorrectly. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? By the same token, you still have to ask for the order and you do this when sufficient value has been communicated. And that's, you know, as much an art as a science, but that's part of, of being a salesperson. Uh, but typically, you know, people will say again, they'll say, well, but does, you know, closing the sale or asking, is that being a go-giver? And again, it's that thing about the, the confusion, I guess, of being a go-giver and the being taken advantage, you know, the two have nothing to do with one another. Of course you need to ask for the order. Very seldom is someone going to interrupt your presentation and say, okay, let's do it. You know, will you take my credit card or how do we go about this? Let's get this started. I, it, it happens sometimes, but not usually. Typically you need to be able to ask for the order, but you don't have to do anything fancy. You don't have to do anything hard sell or pressure or anything like that. If you've done the discovery correctly and you've ensured that what you understand their needs, wants, and desires to be, to be their needs, wants, and desires when they confirm that, if you've met during your presentation, if you've matched the benefits of your product or service with their wants, needs, or desires, um, if you've, if you've, you know, handled any concerns they might have in the form of objections, uh, now you simply ask for the order and you're at this point, you're asking them to do what they have already told you they want to do. It's almost a natural progression at that point. It ab absolutely. And that's what selling as a go-giver is, but it, no, it doesn't mean you don't make the sale. That would be, you know, and it doesn't mean you don't ask for the order. <laughs> uh, it just, it just means you do things. It just means that everything about what you do is focused on bringing them exceptional value. In the book, one of the principles is influence. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about how being a go-giver can create influence. Well, when you think about it, influence on a very, very basic level is simply the ability to move a person or persons to a desired action, usually within the context of a specific goal. That's the that's the definition of, of influence. I, I don't think it's really the uh, essence of influence. The essence of influence is pull, pull as opposed to push. Uh, you know, there's that old sales question, <laughs> the, uh, how far, or leadership question, how far can you push a rope, right? And of course, the answer is not very far, at least not very fast oh. <laughs> or very effectively. You could push it, but, but it wouldn't be, uh, it would take a long time. Uh, and this is why, though, that great influencers don't push. You, you never hear people say, wow, that Mary or that David, he is so influential. He has a lot of push with people. He sure is pushy. And wow, we just love this guy. No, they, it's, they say he has a lot of influence. He has a lot of pull, right? Because that's what influence is. It's pull. It's an attraction. And great influencers, they, they attract people first to themselves and only then to their ideas. And they do this not through pushing their will on others or being pushy, but through drawing people, attracting people to them and their ideas. And again, how do they do this? Well, we go right back to what we were talking about. They ask questions. They focus on the other person. They realize that the degree of influence that they uh, have is going to be less about themselves and more on 
how they can how they can communicate value to another human being. You know, your book has so many different lessons in it, um, even beyond business, even I feel like just a lot of life lessons. And I guess that's why it sold over 700,000 different copies uh, and translated into 21 different languages. Can you uh, name all the languages? (laughs) I'd I'd like to try. I don't think I could, but thank you, though. (laughs) Now, did you translate all of those? Yeah, another one I wish. (laughs) (laughs) Well, tell me, was there anything that we might have missed when we talked about the book that that would be important just to discuss on this episode? No, no, not really. I mean, uh, you know, with the go-giver itself, there's the five uh, there's the five laws, you know, value, compensation, influence, authenticity. And then the fifth one is receptivity. So which is also important because we've got to know that when our focus is on bringing value or giving value to others, we've set that that uh, process uh, forward and it, and, and it now creates the environment for us to receive, but we've got to be able to accept that, you know, we've got to be able to receive graciously. We've got to be able to receive with gratitude. And sometimes because of the messages we get from the world around us, which is a very much of a lack message, right? About money being bad. And, you know, people who've made it big have have done it on the backs of others and all these horrible, horrible messages we receive that sometimes, you know, can mess with the mind in an unconscious way. And there are people who will actually do a great job in the sales process and they take wonderful care of others and they communicate value very well. And yet they have an issue when it comes to receiving. And so we've got to remember that just like breathing out, we also breathe in, right? Just like we breathe out carbon dioxide, but we also breathe in oxygen. We breathe out, which is giving but we also breathe in, which is receiving. And that giving and receiving are not opposite concepts, despite what the world around us tries to tell us. Giving and receiving are simply two sides of the very same coin. The key, though, is as a sales professional to understand that the giving comes first. The giving of value comes first. And uh, when we do that, when we give in abundance and we give the right way and we give in a way that the the uh, other person sees it as being of value, then again, we've created the environment to receive. We just need to be willing to do so. Nice. Create the environment to receive and then do so. Uh, we cannot forget that step for sure. Oh, but there's the music. Uh, Bob, we are coming now to the time for the last call. Lightning round. Are you ready for the lightning round questions? As ready as I'll ever be. All right. Well, do you have a favorite quote? Yeah. Well, let me give you a quote that's not one of mine, and <laughs> because those are the ones that mean the most to me, the ones that aren't mine. Uh, I would say Zig Ziglar's often misquoted quote, but the actual, the way it actually goes is, you can have everything in life you want if you'll just help enough other people get what they want. Well, I like that. I, that's um, That could be a whole different theme as far as what's your favorite quote that other people misquote. Uh, right, yeah, that's so, right. And unfortunately, most people do misquote that. I like that. We'll put that in the show notes correctly, make sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, what about um, as people are, or once they finish reading the Go-Giver series, uh, what book do you recommend the audience read? There is a book by the late Harry Brown, B-R-O-W-N-E. It's called The Secret of Selling Anything. And he actually put this together back in the 60s, and he never published it. 
He wrote it as two different manuscripts. After he died, his his uh, widow Pamela found them, and she actually sold the rights to an independent publishing company. And it it is the best book I have ever read when it comes to understanding and respecting human nature and how it relates to the sales process. If there was any one book on selling and on in life, basically, that I would say someone should read, it's The Secret of Selling Anything by Harry Brown. I like that. Yeah, that's. I would imagine that uh, would be valuable for even people not in sales. Absolutely. Yeah. That was, you know, it was written in the 1960s. So the language is kind of outdated and it, and I, you know, and I tell people it's, it's kind of like not sexist because he was not a sexist he, but, but you know, the words were he and, you know, his, and the, the roles were very, uh, what was that TV show? Mad, uh, Mad Men or something, you know, that sort of thing. So I asked people to please forgive that because it was just the time it was written. That's the language that was used, but the principles in that book Oh my goodness! Uh, everyone should read that book. All right, yeah, that's great. Well, what about this? In the morning, um, a typical weekday, the alarm goes off. Uh, what type of morning routine do you have? I'm up at five thirty, and despite people saying don't do this, I go on my computer and I check my emails and social media because I've got a lot that comes in overnight and I want to be able to take that first hour and just get that totally cleaned up and taken care of. So I I don't do it from my phone. Um, You know, I get up out of bed and I I say a prayer of gratitude and, and, uh, you know, shave and brush my teeth and and then I'm right downstairs, put that first cup of coffee on and I check my email, social media. Then at 6.30, uh, my trainer, Diane, she comes over. She comes over six days a week and uh, she works me out those six days and prepares all my meals for the day. So that keeps me in, in you know, decent shape for a 60-year-old guy. I don't go overboard with it, but, um, but you know, it allows me to function <laughs> as yeah. I do. Uh, that's how my day starts. And then it's, you know. Well, I like that. Um, well, what is one of your favorite charities? Well, a uh, couple of them. Well, one would be, the, the main one would be um, uh, uh, Furry Friends Adoption uh, Clinic and Ranch in my hometown of Jupiter, Florida, which I used to serve on the board of directors. And also, I, I, another one is uh, PETA, the People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. And so those are, those are my two favorites. Yeah, those are great charities. Okay, so this upcoming year, what, what are you excited about? Uh, the new book that just came out a couple of weeks ago, The Go-Giver Influencer. And this is sort of the parable of my life's work. So this is something I am just extremely excited about. And I I figure I'll be promoting this for the next 20 years. Yeah, well, 20 years will go by fast. (laughs) Well, what is the best way for people either to learn more about you or to get in touch with you? Best way is just to go to the website, which is The Go-Giver, without the hyphen, thegogiver.com. And uh, while they're there, they can click on the, uh, the cover of the book and, and uh, it will take them to where they can get the first two chapters to see if they like it. Then they can always click through from there. And while they're on the site, they can do everything from subscribe to my podcast to uh, uh, connect with me on social media. Well, Bob, it has been such a pleasure to have had you join us here in Sales Paradise. Oh, thanks so much, Chandler. I appreciate the work you're doing. Thank you. Thank you.